Welcome to the Beautiful Souls Podcast with your host, myself, Danielle Cadwell. I'm an Olympian author, speaker, and coach, and I'm here to dive deeper into all things mindset, manifestation, mission, and yes, some meditation. In 2013, I was an unfit, concussed, and massively self-conscious synchronized swimmer when an opportunity arrived that was well beyond my wildest dreams to begin training for the next Olympic Games. I was terrified. However, I decided to take the biggest leap of my life. I went all in, moving from Canada to Australia and dedicating my life to my sport. On this journey, I made a vow to myself. If I could do it, if I could really make my wildest dreams come true, I would spend the rest of my life sharing what I had learned to help others do the same. So beautiful souls, this podcast is where I fulfill my promise. We'll talk about everything from the energetics of manifestation and the power of self-worth to mindset cultivation and how to step up and into your soul mission. You can think of this time together as kind of like a soul spa, where together we will wash away your fears, massage you with some truth and some love, and spruce you up on the insides with some spirituality. So, are you ready to be rejuvenated from the inside out? Let's dive in. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Beautiful Souls podcast. I am so excited because I have a friend of mine here and a friend of Luca's, um, Mr. Matt Kama, who is a globally respected dating and intimacy coach, author, speaker, and founder of Embody Love and the Online Coach Academy. And he is a friend that we met when we were living in Bali. And I was, I don't know why I didn't even think of it sooner, but I had this epiphany moment about a month ago and I was like, I need to interview Matt. You have so much wisdom. And I think what I love you, there's just so many incredible things about you, Matt, like the life that you've created. It's been so cool to like see your journey, but like from the business sense, but also from like, it's cool because I knew you before you were with Kelly, who's now your partner. Um, And to see you really shift into this, like really embodied space of like manifesting your soulmate, you're the person that you want to spend your life with from such an integral way and such a way of like self-responsibility has been really cool to witness and um, I just wanted to talk about your journey and all the wisdom that you have so thank you for being here thank you for having me on yeah I'm really excited and yeah it's really cool to know that um, yeah you have known me before Kelly came into my life wow now so yeah, I'm excited to uh, share any wisdom I can to support your audience. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I'm super stoked. So I like, I always like to go back to the beginning. You growing up, what was little Matt Kama like? And what was his experience of relationships when you were younger? Great question. For me, before I went into high school, to give you a bit of an idea and paint a picture for everyone, I was someone who was very expressive. I was very loud. I was very unapologetically me. And at the same time, it started to shift in my very first year of high school. And the reason why was because I was at a sports high school. I've noticed, Mm -hmm. I've realized that a lot of people in America and Canada don't have these, but in Australia, there are these sports high schools. Mm -hmm. And I was at one in my very first year. And as you can imagine, a lot of kids were very athletic and fit. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, was... A little bit different. I wasn't fit or athletic. I was a little bit chubby, not overweight or obese or anything like that, but I was chubby enough to be laughed at. And mm-hmm. at that school, I was called Fat Matt on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And it really started to shift because I started to hear these words and it affected the way that I started to see myself in the mirror. So now I was no longer seeing 
who I once saw before high school, I was now seeing Fat Matt. Mm. So I started to become very, very shy. I started to become very timid. I my protection mechanism was to become as small as possible, become as quiet as possible, because the protection mechanism was if I am not seen, then that means that I am safe. Mm. It's an interesting question to answer because I was very out there and then I became very shy, but then through mm. the healing process that I started to develop a much more healthier relationship with a part of me who was feeling that it wasn't okay to make noise, to take up mm. space, my voice. So how that impacted my relationships to answer the second question mm. was, it was very challenging because I had a lot of uh, how I remember in high school, for example, one ex-partner of mine broke up with me in front of all of my friends. And she said to me in front of everyone, you just don't speak. And it really hurt me because it, one, it was true. And also two, it was at the time I didn't notice it, but it was really just shining a light on how much I have, how much of a trauma response of mm -hmm. me uh, going through my very first year of high school had an impact on my relationships. I had a really hard time expressing myself. I had a really hard time voicing my needs. I had a really hard time setting any boundaries. I didn't, because I didn't know how, and at the same time, and if, even if I knew how, I wouldn't have felt confident to do so because of the way that I was viewing myself. Mm. So early on in relationships, um, there were a lot of challenges. There was a lot of heartbreak, you know, a lot mm. of hurts, I'll say. So, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's it's interesting how it's like that was um, bullying was that that was conditioned into you through bullying and, and how that can be such a trigger in our mind. It's like maybe those kids didn't think of anything of saying, you know, those words to you, but it's like that imprints in your mind. Like I was called big friendly giant when I was in uh, elementary school and that was such a trigger to me because I'm tall. So if people would call me big, I would be like, oh, well, why do you think that I'm big? And even to this day, like, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure you've probably done a lot of work, but you don't want to be called fat Matt and you're not fat Matt anyways. Like I don't want to be called big friendly giant, but those little moments in time can make such big imprints on, on us that can really ripple into our relationships moving forward, right? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. How did you find moving into like, because what I find is so interesting about you and like, it's been kind of cool to watch your journey as well, which is like different than some other people that I have on the podcast is like your, your business success and your relationship success has kind of seemed to be like coincided have you noticed that like the i feel like the more success and like being a, you've been able to reach more people you've also had success in relationship would you agree and do, did you was that like just by accident or do you think that that's intentional that's a great question i think that it is a byproduct of what has been shifted internally mm. yes there's absolutely practical strategies of attraction to create a relationship there are practical strategies to grow a business and at the same time a lot of the time there's not so much business breakdowns there's more personal breakdowns that creates the business breakdowns mm -hmm. right or in the same thing at, in relationships a lot of the time it's not relationship problems it's really childhood problems that's creating the relationship problems mm -hmm. so as i started to take a deeper look into uh, doing shadow work and looking at all the aspects of me that I've disowned, abandoned, judged, suppressed, and started mm -hmm. to create a different relationship with the aspects of me that have been in the background, then I started to notice that 
who I was attracted to started to shift, but also who I was attracting completely shifted as well. And at the same time, it started to, it started to also impact my business, you know? Mm. So I would say that it absolutely, as I just shifted internal, the external mm. world had no choice but to shift with it. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's like the power of, you know, being able to look at the shadow and you'll do the inner work because it's like it, it has a ripple effect on all of the external parts of your life when you're willing to do that, right? Like our internal world creates our external reality. And it's been um, really cool to see within you. But were you always this self-aware? Because you're a very self-aware human for your age. And like, I hate, like, this is a gender stereotype, which is unfair, but I feel like women are generally more self-aware than men at a younger age. But you're like, you've been doing this work for 10 years, right? Like, was this always in you or was there something that switched in you to go down this path? Great question. I I would say not so much self-aware, but I would say that I was very curious as a kid. Mm. I remember my stepmom would say to me that, um, I think that you're going to be an FBI investigator when you grow up <laughs> because all the time at dinner, if they were speaking about something, I would just be curious. And I would say, why is that? So yeah. I think that from that curiosity, it inevitably led to high levels of self-awareness because I was asking questions. Mm. I was just curious about human behavior and I was curious about the world and why things are the way that they are. So it was me just from asking questions and also I also think that because I be I became very quiet, it allowed me to stay very much internal to just observe what is happening, and and it definitely became unproductive because I became hyper vigilant to what is happening in my surroundings as a way of me protecting myself, me feeling mm. very unsafe. Right, mm. I was like looking out for the bully. So mm. as of that hyper vigilance was there. And at the same time, what was great about that was I definitely became much more aware around why what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. So as I combined that hypervigilance with curiosity of asking questions and just watching what is happening with other people and also what what's happening within me, then I think that the awareness was just created. But I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that I was born with it or mm. it, it wasn't taught to me. It was just mm-hmm. the violence of that byproduct of curiosity right i even remember when like one of i think we had dinner at kind in bali and i will always remember you asked me what's your greatest fear like i think it was like one of the first maybe times that we met and i was like yeah i'm here for this um <laughs> and then that just sparked such a great conversation because that curiosity within you to ask those questions like it, it just le- leads to more depth in life like i'm a scorpio so i'm like here for that i'm like tell me our deepest darkest secrets like i don't want to have surface level don't tell me about the weather let's go deep right (laughs) yes yeah i think that's such a it's such a uh it's one of the feedbacks that it's a part of feedback that i get a lot is when i'm with people that will compliment me on my ability to just ask questions and i'm not doing it as a tactic i'm just Mm. doing it because i'm just genuinely curious Mm. and i think that it's such a healthy it's such a healthy trait to have to be a curious being about your partner for example but Mm. also just about life Mm. to ask questions Mm. so yeah Mm. Did you, have you read the book how to win friends and influence people i haven't i know that's isn't that isn't it tell me about that like, well, a- it just i, I was, it was gonna say that it might, you must have read it because that's one of the kind of concepts of it is like at just being curious and asking people questions and that great creates great conversation and basically people like talking about themselves so therefore you kind of 
call forward friendships into your life. And so it's funny because I have uh, Livy who we're staying with. She is also really incredible at asking questions. And I was like, have you read this book? And she's like, that's actually where I learned it from. So it's interesting that you've just intuitively picked that up. Yeah, I've, I've heard people speak about it, but I've never I've never read that book before. But I do know it's very, very popular. Yeah, uh, yeah it's super interesting. There yeah, it's go. a classic. It was like written back in like 1920s or something like that. So yeah, yes. it's from the old school. Um, what led, like, was there a moment when you kind of going through your high school journey and, you know, having those moments where you were called fat Matt and you were kept quiet? What made you want to change? Because you're not that person anymore. So was there a moment or anything that switched that in you to kind of choose a different path? Yeah, I, it started with sports actually because mm, I was yeah. playing rugby at the time and I started to get into motivational speaking. Uh, there was a dude, his name is E.T., the hip-hop preacher, Eric Thomas. Yeah. And you know who he is? No, I don't, but I'm going to write him down. You know, the, you know that quote where it's like, if you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. Have you heard oh, of that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I started to listen to him and his. I was, a pers- I was studying to become a personal trainer at the time and playing rugby. And I started to listen to him because it helped me to really train more, but then train harder. But he also had a lot of concepts that I just didn't know of that allowed me to reflect on my life and why I was not trying. So in school, I was terrible at school. I would cheat in tests. I had a really hard time comprehending information that I was reading. And in in my very first year of starting to become a personal trainer, I barely passed. I was not great on tests. But then the second year, when I started to observe and listen to his content, I started to not become first in a lot of the tests, but get close to that, like third, which was un. I just didn't experience that. What What was it? Do you think that helped you get better grades? Like that he said, listening to his information around why aren't you trying? Like why Um, are you putting minimal effort? I can't remember the exact words, but it was just showing me how much I was just not trying and. It started with sports, but then it started to translate into other areas of my life. Mm. And I think from that, it was uh, just a process of learning, listening to new speakers. Mm. And then I started to get into Tony Robbins and Mm. that was mind blowing. Uh, And I started to really, I I remember there was one moment when it was highly impactful because something that I've shared a few times in programs of mine was I wasn't just called Fat Matt, but later on, I started to be called Mute Karma instead of Mm. Matt Karma. Right. Mm. So as a byproduct of me being called fat man, I became very shy. I started to not speak. So I was called mute. Right. Mm. And I had a conversation in my mind that who I am is someone who is just shy. And I remember sitting in my car one day, listening to Tony Robbins. And he said something that you you aren't your beliefs. And to me, that's so basic now, of course, like we're not our thoughts. Eckhart Tolle talks about, it's just, Personal development yeah. one one. But yeah. I was like yeah. 19 years old. I've never heard that information yeah. before. Yeah. That I'm not my beliefs. Yeah. What? When you hear it for the first time, I'm not the thoughts in my head. You're like, what? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it was, it was absolutely mind yeah. blowing yeah. because I just never, I thought that if I'm believing this, that it was true. I actually wasn't even contemplating that to that level of depth, but I just didn't know anything. It was just, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I remember sitting in my car and I was mind blown. Because in my mind, I was someone who was just shy. Mm. And then when he said that, I was like, my whole uh, my whole paradigm was just hit with this massive hammer and it just mm. jackled, right? It just broke everywhere. 
So that was a that was a key moment because after that I started to look at what other beliefs am I buying into or what other beliefs am I not aware of that is running my life right now. Mm. So I to see that there wasn't just one belief that I'm shy. There was multiple beliefs about mm. what I'm capable of, who I am, and mm. yeah. Mm. When was there a point where? like all of the motivational stuff turned into, cause I also know that you're a very spiritual being as well. Yeah. Is it, was there a moment where there was a shift for you with that? Yeah, that, I, that like, started to not be as valuable to me. It was highly, it was necessary for my stage of development that I was in, in terms mm. of personal growth and healing journey. Mm. Got to the point where it was bypassing a lot of the traumas that I didn't deal with that, mm. that I could just, use positive thinking and reframe. Mm, yeah. That's very powerful. And at the same time, there was still a lot of hurt that wasn't dealt with. And I had some mentors, uh, Preston Smiles and Alexi Panos, shout out to them, that yeah, really supported awesome. me. Yeah. That really supported me to do a lot of the somatic work, which is mm. dealing what is going on with the body, not just what is happening in the mind. Mm. Because in the past, I was grateful for the bullies, right? It's like, yeah, it's, like, it's it's great that that happened because who I am is who I am today. And there was a lot of hurt and anger and mm. shame that I didn't deal with. Mm. So then I started to look at, there's a whole other world, which is doing the healing work. And then once I combined that with a lot more of the mindset work, the mm. working with the body as well as the mind, yeah. that's when a lot of things started to shift. Yeah, that's really where the key is, right? And I think there's like, I say that as well. It's like, and I think you, I, I'm so curious to see where the world goes in my hope if they bring this awareness back into sports because we have the kind of like the mindset stuff, right? Of just like, yeah, like you go, like believe in yourself, positive thinking, like positive self-talk. But it's like, I am excited to see as the world progress, if we can bring that back into sport is like the breath work, the somatic work, the like, like the releasing of your like deep ingrained beliefs that will help you succeed because like, you know, being an athlete is so much, yeah, physical, of course, it takes skill, but like, there is so much mindset stuff to it. But I don't, I, I don't think that sport that I have seen, I mean, maybe yours is different and maybe it's changing now. I, I know people like um, Lucas and Hella working with, you know, people like, I think the, the YouTube Jake guy, Paul. Jake Paul, yeah, in UFC. Like if we bring that to sport, just imagine where it can go, right? Yes, absolutely. It, it reminds me of a story. And I think that this might answer one of the previous questions you answered because there was a moment when I was playing rugby at the time and I was trialing for this team. And this team was compared to most other teams in Sydney. It was a very easy team to make. And I went to go trial for this team and I was very complacent because in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to make this team easy. Right. Mm. And after the trial match, which is playing a game, a few days later, they said, okay, we're going to call all of you players and let you know if you made the team or not. In my mind, I was in. This is going to be easy. And all of my all of my friends got a call and they said, hey, you're in the team. Congratulations. I got a call. I was training at the gym at the time in my home gym and just in my garage. And I got a call and the dude said, hey, uh, I just want to let you know that unfortunately you haven't made the team. And I remember being so embarrassed because when I told my friends, they were shocked, but they also 
laughing at the same time.、Mm. But in that moment, I made up a story that I, the pattern was I'm never going to be complacent again. But underneath that was a story that I am someone who isn't wanted.、Mm. And from that moment, I. Was just going and going and going and going and had a really hard time to slow down. So that's when I became, I trained like crazy. I started to put a lot more effort into everything that I was doing, combining that with the personal,、uh, the motivational stuff. But、mm-hmm. that moment created a lot of hurt.、Mm-hmm. And it was only recently, actually, that I started to look at that memory、mm-hmm. and I started to hug that part of me who felt like he just wasn't chosen or felt like he wasn't wanted.、Mm-hmm. And I could see that a lot of the, Quote unquote success that other people might see that I have was created because of that event.、Mm. Because I remember after that call, I went on this massive run and I made up a decision that I'm never going to not be picked. I'm never going to be someone who becomes complacent.、Mm. And as a byproduct, I had a, I, I had a really hard time slowing down.、Mm. It was only this year、mm. that every Sunday I no longer work, I just have a rest day. But before that, I was not resting. I was wow, just. Wow, you never had a day off. There were some days where I would have to take a day off because my body had no choice. It was like burnout. Yeah. Or if I was on a holiday or something like that. Yeah. But very rarely, I would say 98% of the time, it was working. Yeah. And it was because I didn't deal with the hurt that little Matt went through in that moment because、mm-hmm. he learned that never slow down. See what happens when you get complacent? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you probably would have felt like, oh, if I slow down in my business and my life, then I'm going to get complacent and, you know, this will fall away in some some way,、exactly. shape, or form. Yes, exactly. It's、so、funny become- that that happens because it's like consciously you would know that you've normalized a certain level and it would be very hard for you to drop from that certain level. But subconsciously, there's a part of you that's like, doesn't realize that. So you are running in this pattern.、Mm, exactly. And, and that's the power of the awareness side of things in terms of the mind, but then dealing with the hurt and the consequence of the emotional consequence of living in that story for a very long、mm. time. And as a result of that, now it is so much easier to slow down because it's not me who is needing to slow down. It's the version of me that had that call that time and then learns that it's not okay to slow down. So it's、mm. like just giving him a hug and holding him and letting、mm. him know it's okay, you know? Because、mm. I think those of us inside of us, like, and I resonate with that so deeply because it's like my default was like, I wasn't good enough, so I'll just work harder. And working harder just means working all the time. And so then you get to a certain point where, like, you're just, your body starts to like push in resistance because it's tired. Like, that's just not sustainable.、Um, and, but then there's those fears if, if I slow down, then I'm going to fall behind. And, and how do I, how do I do that? So it's like, Yeah, it even made me think, I was like, wow, okay, maybe there's some more work that I need to do around that. Cause I'm, I'm better, but I still need to work on it. Like if I need time off or a day off, cause it's just like, yeah, I think that it's like the shadow and light side of everything, right? Like there's so many incredible parts to being an athlete. And then there's so much rewiring that I've had to do since like leaving sport because you're like, you don't need to train that much as a n o r m Like I trained eight hours a day. I don't need to train eight hours a day anymore, you know? <laughs> Yeah. That happened for you. I'm actually curious. Like, did that happen?、Uh, was there an event that happened for you that led to like, something similar to that that started to create this? I'm not going to be not good enough. There w a s like two 
specific events. And it's funny because your story is so similar to mine. Um, I tried out for the uh, provincial. So in, in Canada, we have provinces, kind of like states in Australia. I just tried out for the provincial team in for the 2011 Winter Games um, in Canada. And um, I was so afraid to try out because I thought I wouldn't make it. And I ended up not making it. And I felt so humiliated. But I kind of knew that it wasn't going to make it, but I still felt humiliated. And so I kind of used that as like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just have to be the person that works harder because I'm never going to be the person that is naturally skilled. And even when, you know, my own crazy story of, of getting on the Australian team and then the very first competition we went to in Calgary, um, we have two, two routines, a free routine and a tech routine. And I was only swimming in one of them. And I was on the other, I was standing on the side watching my team in, in the second um, routine in tech routine and i remember because tech, like i wasn't the best athlete at that point so that's why you're kind of benched um and i i was saying in my mind at that moment this will never happen to me again i will always be in the pool and i was from that moment on until i retired i was always in both routines because i worked hard enough and so then when i retired from sport and I moved to Bali, um, I was exhausted. Like I was, so, it probably took me like a year and a half to like get over like fatigue and even still deeper unwiring of the fact that it's okay to slow down and slowing down doesn't mean, I think because, you know, basically being an athlete, you're very intensely in the masculine energy. And so we, you think that only the masculine energy gives you results. But then you also forget that the feminine is deep receiving, right? And like we can actually attract things into our life in the feminine energy, like in both men and women, what, wherever you stand on the scale, right? Wow, I love that. That's super yeah. inspiring to to hear the fact that a lot of your because you have done so much, you know, in your life already. You created books, made the Olympics, and <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see that a lot of that was created from that event, and yeah. then also seeing the impact that wasn't so great about mm -hmm. from that. And uh, mm -hmm. love that you're uh, unwiring all of that. It's yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And I think it's it's something that I've realized in the, you know my the past few years of just and I remind this to my clients is like everything in our life has a shadow and a light side, and mm -hmm. and like you know there's as much as there's so many incredible things about me going to the Olympics and you being an athlete. There's still all of this stuff that wasn't helpful that we get to work through. But the greatest piece in all of it is awareness, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for I'd, sharing that. Thank you. I'd love to know, as you started to move into relationships in your 20s, were they healthy relationships? Nope. Absolutely <laughs> not. That's where a lot of my teachers, someone said to me, uh, I think it was a few months ago, like, how did, how did you get into relationship coaching? And I said to them, a lot of pain. Mm, what <laughs> types of relationships were they like? So, well, a lot of the relationships, okay, so to break it down, I was someone who was very much like had a, you could say an anxious attachment style, mm. very much like needy and clingy and holding on. And as a result of that, the consequence was me being friend zoned a lot or me being uh. interested and then that person ending up sleeping with another person or kissing another person at a party. And from that, there was so many layers of hurt to the mm. point where there was a massive barricade around my heart. Mm. So then you could say that I became very avoidant, uh, avoidant attachment style, but that was because of the hurt that happened. So mm -hmm. I learned that it isn't okay to have intimacy because if I open up, it's going to end in pain. It's going to end up in this person cheating. So 
it was first the first in high school days it was both very challenging so i was dating people but it ended up me being like the nice guy and then mm. clingy and needy and then sleeping with other people and then after that it was being avoidance like avoiding a lot of the t- avoiding relationships a lot of the time mm. or if i was dating someone i was one foot in one foot out the mm. one foot in was the part of me who deeply desired connection and intimacy but the other part of me that was one foot out was deeply afraid of that because remember what happens when th- when you do that you end up in pain again do you really want that man mm. so my journey was being able to see both and meet this part of me who was avoiding intimacy with deeper levels of empathy compassion and uh intrigue and seeing why it is that this version of why this part of me is avoiding intimacy you know mm. uh so that's that's how my early years kind of went in in mm. the past cuz yeah ultimately it's it's a similar tale with so many people that are afraid to be in relationships because there's this deep fear is and usually this is mirrored in other parts of your life where it's like, well, I've opened up before and someone's hurt my feelings. And so why would I ever open up? But to experience deep love in any relationship, it requires vulnerability. What did you do to change that? Because I know you and Kelly have just a beautiful relationship, but Mm -hmm. that, that obviously came when you were ready because do you think that you would and Kelly would have gotten together if you met like six years earlier? We have this conversation so often. I say to her, uh, absolutely. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't even have, th- I would, I would have been putting on her on a massive pedestal. I would, she probably wouldn't have been interested in me because I would have been so clean and needy mm. and like replying and just sending 17 follow-up messages after one message. And <laughs> I was that dude. So I'll tell you how it changed because it wasn't one moment. It was yeah. many moments, but one cool thing that I did was there was one girl that I was so interested in and she ended up sleeping with another dude, right? And then from that, I made a decision that I was going to hire a coach. But this mm. coach was teaching other men to pick up women, right? Mm. And in my mind, I didn't know any better. And I just thought that I there's something wrong with me. There is something that is mm. broken and it needs fixing. Mm. So I thought that the way to overcome that was by looking at what is it that I'm doing wrong here? Why is it that women aren't interested in me? Or they're interested mm. in me, but then they lose interest. So it was really helpful at the time because this dude, he would take us out into Sydney. Right? Oh, really? Like it was in person? It was in person. And you would pick up women. Oh yeah. my gosh. So what would happen is it'd go for about two to three hours, depending upon what we do. So there'd be some sessions where we'd go out to the club, which I hated because I did not want to go to parties or anything. Yeah. But I was using it as a pers- like for personal growth. And he would take us to Sydney Harbour where there's just tons of people everywhere. And the first session was all about theory. So he'd break down, okay, this is how you flirt. Do Mm. this, this, and this. Practice with me. This is how you approach someone. Do this, this, and this. This is how you ask for the number without being like a creep. Do this, this, and this. Practice here. Okay, that woman there, go. And I'm like, what? He's like, go. Go and approach her. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then I'd be like going up to different women, like, putting out my hand, shaking, getting quote unquote rejected tons of time, my ego being punched in the face so many times. But it was so useful because I learned, ah, oh, okay, there is there's like a formula to having a conversation and holding mm. a conversation. There's a formula to flirting. Mm. I don't need 
that. There's a formula to asking for someone's number and letting someone know on a date that you're not here just as a friend. You're here mm. because you're interested in them. There's a way to create uh, sexual tension. I just didn't know any of that. Mm. And at the same time, that was helpful. So that was one part of it. So that what that's what helped me change. So that's more the practical aspects of it, yeah. of attraction, of flirting and, and so on. But then what wasn't dealt with was why in the first place it was such a hard time for me to do that. Mm. Like why was there still so much pain? Because yeah. underneath that there was tippiness and the tippiness was created out of some form of pain. Mm. So that's, it was a practical aspect, but then I started to get into a lot more of the trauma work, which is what I mentioned, uh, yeah. um, my mentors, doing breath work and doing lots of meditation, sitting mm. in silence and allowing myself to just cry and go into the old memories and do inner child work. Mm. So it was the practical combined with energetic and psychological work mm. combined together. Yeah. So it was but even many- like the flirting, like you that even though it probably wasn't explained in those words it probably was energetic right because like energetically you know a feminine identifying woman if you have a feminine like energy man coming up and not like it's like there there is something about like coming up like and having like a strong energy and feeling like you're wanted that just naturally attracts the woman or you know and this this works with any where whatever you are on the spectrum right and so it's funny because like you were taught these like things but that's also like a practical thing but it's also an energetic thing at a deeper level probably as you realize later on yes for sure being able to build sexual tension a lot of that is being able to use words and your way of being to create mm. sexual energy to allow mm. someone's sexual energy to have that towards you so that's there's definitely a, a skill and art to that, which was very much, which was very useful. And coming back to the question, uh, I wouldn't have been able to, ha- I wouldn't be able to flirt with Kelly, wouldn't have been able to have that in a relationship if I didn't learn those skills. So yeah, uh, it's a great reminder that we don't attract what we want. We attract who we are. Mm. So that was very much needed or required. Mm. Attract mm. someone like that. I know before you were with Kelly, there was, um a period of time where you were were single was there anything that you did from like a manifestation perspective of attracting her like did you write a list like did you visualize her what did you do yeah straight after my last breakup a few days actually after actually I, I wrote down what didn't go great in that relationship what did go great in that relationship where can I take responsibility for that relationship ending and then who is it that I want to attract from all these lessons about what was great, what wasn't so great, how can I use that information to create a list of what is it that I truly want? Mm -hmm. And also who must I become to the point where it's normal for that type of person to show up in my life, right? And I, the manifestation process that I went through was I would read out loud every single day and I'll pretend that I'm on the phone. So I like to call it the abracadabra process, Mm -hmm. but it's, Pretending that you're on the phone to someone and speaking as if you're in the future, but the thing that you want in your life is past tense. Mm. So I would pretend that I was on a conversation to someone and I wouldn't just do this in relationships, but I'd be looking at my list and I'd say to this imaginary friend, yeah, I met this woman. She's so amazing. Like we've been dating for a while now. And I'd imagine that this person was asking me questions like, tell me about it. Like, what does she look like? Yeah. And I just go through the whole list. 
what is what is like tell me like what's sex like go through the whole list what is uh like what do you do for fun i go through the whole list and i wouldn't speak it out loud but i feel into how that would feel like and that would i wouldn't have to try to do that that would just naturally happen just by imagining that show up in my life and everything that i wrote down and was speaking out loud is now kelly so that is so cool i love hearing that story also I think it is it was cool to know you before and know you now and just like I love seeing good people find their people. It just makes me happy. And did you know Luca actually told me that you did that? And so we started doing that. And I would like go on I go on walks and like I pretend that I'm talking on the phone. And so I good. like I it's so fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm gonna give credit to uh I first learned something similar from Bob Proctor. Bob Proctor teaches oh, yeah. like the I'm so happy and grateful now that, but he'd get you to write it. Yeah. And then uh I just felt like that wasn't I didn't I couldn't really feel the emotions of yeah. doing that. And then another mentor of mine, Kyle Cease, would have something similar to that. And I just like to pretend that I'm on the phone though. And yeah. it's been it's been super supportive. So I love that you're doing that. It's yeah. It's- Really it's, it's fun too. like sometimes when I'm walking like I like to I don't know I'd like to call someone anyways it's just nice and I was like oh why don't I just talk about what's you know um you know going on and this is also like there's a socially awkward person in me sometimes and so it's like if I ever in a place where I don't want to talk to someone I'm just like hey yeah. pretending <laughs> that I'm like and talking about what's going on <laughs> during, during the pandemic uh I would do this at you've been to Cray Cafe here in Bali yeah right? yeah mm-hmm. I would go to Cray Cafe every single morning and i would do that and i uh i don't know if you know ben ben yeah ben kelly yeah ben kelly yeah i was on his podcast and you can actually find it on youtube and i was on his podcast and he asked me he's like i see you at cray cafe every morning and i'm paraphrasing here but he's like who you're very passionate like who are you speaking to (laughs) and i was like shit you're asking me you're like my future self so (laughs) thank you I just had to tell him I'm not speaking to anyone actually <laughs> myself. So then I had to stop doing that there to not look because now he now knows and he's going to look at me like I'm a psychopath. Just not speaking. own it. I mean, it worked. <laughs> look, like you're like, see, yeah. it worked. So, yeah, exactly. so um, yeah, I have a lot of I hear this in women. Um, this is actually not something. This is why I actually like getting people on about relationships because you know how some there's things in some of our lives that we have more ease around and then there's some things that are harder and i feel like for me i was modeled my parents have been married for 52 years um and i was actually modeled pretty healthy relationships and even though i had didn't have the best relationship previously to meeting luca it was quite easy for me to it just kind of happened so i was never in that period of like why is there no one out there but i hear this with a lot of my clients where they say or women that say there's just no good men out there and i real that phrase like grinds my gears because i know so many good men but that's not a it's not a belief that i have so i see so many good men all the time what would you say to women that say that there's just no good men out there that's a great question i would say to first start off with having an understanding that our beliefs will distort our perception of reality to conform to what it is that we believe so what it is that i'm thinking about men about women about life about what fill in the gap anything it is literally distorting my perception of reality Mm. to conform to what it is that i am buying into Mm. so if i believe that there are no good men out there that is true to that person but in reality it is not a truth 
Mm-hmm. And well, to some degree, what we also get to look at is questioning what it is that we are assuming about relationships, about men, about who it is that we believe we are. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I one of the things that I like to teach my clients is using self-doubt, but using self-doubt for us rather than against us. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by this is when we think about self-doubt, a lot of the time there are stories, but a lot of the time there are questions that is creating us to feel this sense of doubt. Can mm-hmm. I do this? What if I don't find anyone else like this, my ex-partner? What if I can't do this? What if this happens? What if this happens? And that's going to create some level of doubt and anxiety. But also when you can see that the formula for doubt is questions, how can I then use questions to doubt my doubts? Mm. There are no good men out there. What is a question I can ask myself to investigate the validity of this belief? Is that a 100% truth that there are no good men out there? Mm. Well, let's say that the answer is yes. Okay. Well, let me ask myself another question. Have I met every single man in my town? Well, no. Well, okay. Well, coming back to the question, can I know with 100% certainty that every single man in my town, in my area, in the world is not good? No, I can't know that for, for sure. Mm. just from that question, then you can start to break down the assumption that there are no good men out there. Mm. So I think that most people are throwing out distortions, which is labels and assumptions and beliefs, but they go unchecked and they go, yeah, they go unchecked. They go unchecked Mm. and they also go unquestioned. Mm. So I think that starting with that can be really useful because then from there, what's going to happen? I'm sure you know about this reticular activating system. Yeah, It's going to start to change. And you're like, okay, well, all I've seen now is that there are no good men. So of course, that's all I'm going to see. But now from questions and that assumption has then dissolved a little bit or a lot or completely, I can now be open to a new possibility. Mm. Where, and then I can start to reframe you start that. to see that as well yeah. in your reality because it's filtering in your mind, right? Yes, exactly. Mm. And then you can start to look for where men are showing up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a, I love that process. I haven't heard that before. That's really, really cool way that you explain that. Um, Mm. I see this sometimes in relationships as well, where people will settle with mediocrity. And it's Mm. like, you might not be my person, but I'm getting to a certain age and I don't want to be alone. So, you know, we might as well just stay together. What do you think about that in result in in regards to their you know having a beautiful thriving love that you can have with someone? Do you think that that's yeah? I just love to know your opinion on that. I know that's a big question. question. No, that's a great question. So we can break it down. So the question is, what do I think about people settling for mediocrity in relationships? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So. There's many ways to this. One way that we can answer this question is by looking at what must be someone be be believing about themselves in order for them to quote unquote settle. Mm. So it Mm -hmm. might be like maybe they're believing that who they are is someone who doesn't matter, Mm. who they are is someone that doesn't really, doesn't really, uh, someone who, who they are is someone who is unwanted or who they are is someone who is not good enough to keep it basic. So if that's the core belief about who it is that they are, knowing that the beliefs distort the perception of reality to conform to who they are, Mm. if they believe that I am someone who doesn't matter, I'm someone who is unlovable, I'm someone who is unwanted, then of course they might settle for anyone that shows up in their life because they might have a belief that I can't get anyone better than this because Mm. of who it is that I am. Mm. 
Mm. So that's one way of looking at it is that's what might be happening. Um, and another way to think about this as well is that a lot of the time, some people are in relationships with someone who is awesome and there is a perception that they're settling when they're really not, but it's because there is a constant level of criticism and judgment about who this person is that they're not seeing the amazing human that is in front of them because there is constant criticism. Mm. And that gets to met that gets to be met with compassion as well, because that level of criticism is a byproduct of what was done to them as a child a lot of the time. Mm. Right. So that's the natural consequence of that is just then passing it on to their partner and also themselves for sure as well. Mm. So I would say there's two different layers of that. There's looking at how they're viewing themselves, yeah. but also are they in someone that they're not actually yeah. settling? It's just the way that they're interpreting who their partner is, you know? Yeah. 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 That's a yeah, really great way to kind of break it into two pieces. What yeah. do you think men and women, this is a big question, can do to create a more thriving relationship? So the the kind of back that I come from in this is like, I noticed for a long time, I was very in my masculine as a woman. And I would, and it's an interesting thing being a woman in business because I do have to activate my masculine energy. But then I saw that affecting relationship. And then you also can see a lot of men in their feminine. And so, in what ways can we shift on both sides to enhance a relationship? Great question. If I was to break down one thing, because mm-hmm. we want to look at the question, how can I build a thriving relationship? Well, the thriving relationship is created out of two people whose needs are deeply met at a high level. Mm. So we, we just want to reverse engineer the whole question. Thriving relationship. How is a thriving relationship created? By both need, by two, two people who both needs are met at a highly deeply level. Mm. How can that be created? By asking each other questions that can help this to discover what are those needs that are being met that you can do even more of or what needs aren't being met in different areas of the relationship that can be met just through asking questions and then finding out the specificity of how to meet those needs mm. for example it might look like having a weekly or a monthly check-in mm. and questions you can ask is how can i love you in an even deeper way how can we make our sex life even better And by asking those questions, it will help you to discover how to meet their needs, which will Mm. help create a thriving relationship. Mm. And you can, just to keep it very practical with people, you could start off with the five love languages, for example. Mm. You can get it much deeper into this. So for example, Kelly's love language is quality time. If I just stop at that, I'm not going to meet her need for that because I don't know what that looks like for her. Mm. quality time tell me more about that how do you know that you're having quality time with me because Mm. in my mind this was actually what happened in my mind quality time can look like us sitting down and us watching a movie together Mm. me that's quality time but for her quality time looks like being able to sit down have a meal and speak Mm. so if i was to go from my own interpretation of what quality time means then i wouldn't have met her need Mm. Same thing with me. Mine's physical touch. What does, how do I know when that need for physical touch is being met? Mm. Now we can get into more specificity. Mm. I, want, I want more sex. What does more sex mean? What mm. type of sex do you want? Do you want more loving? Do you want more rough? Do you want to have more variety in different locations? Like, how do you know that the need for better sex is being met? Mm. 
So I think that if anyone, any couple was to start to make, create a thriving relationship, start off with weekly, monthly check-ins. Because that's from, what you, you and Kelly do that, right? Don't you have like a little checklist that people, yeah, is you, it like you, they can download it, right? Yeah. You can download that. Just go oh. to Kelly's website, I'm pretty sure, or my website. Just type in Matt Carmel, Kelly Bodie, relationship check-in, or in my bio, you'll find it there for sure. Okay. Amazing. I have yes. a question for my own personal curiosity. How yes. was it for you and Kelly? Because you guys are very open about your relationship online, which is makes sense because you work in similar fields. And it's beautiful, I think, as well, because it like this work is so needed. But how was that coming together? Because not everyone, it's not gonna be easy to be like, hey, this is our sex life. Like, hey, this is this is our wounds. Like, how did you guys find that transition from coming together to deciding to like share more of your relationship online? I I from my I could always from my perspective. Yeah. From my perspective, it was easy. And I think that because before all of that. I was sharing a lot of the things about my personal life that I had a lot of shame about in the past. I was just sharing it all on social media. So mm. I think that just sharing it now in the aspect of being in a relationship, it felt very easy, but it was because I was practiced in being very transparent before, mm. before being in a relationship with her. So for me, honestly, it did feel easy mm. and totally fine. Mm. Yeah. It also yeah. exciting as well because it, I know that other people can listen to that or watch a piece of content and be like, oh, we go through that or we go through some yeah. challenges. Well, yeah. I know that you guys have shared some like we could say quote unquote controversial things about your relationship. How have yeah. you, how has it been dealing with that backlash? Because mm. I, I think from from both of you I've seen, which I'm like, you go guys. Like whenever I see those videos, like, yeah, like put yourselves out there. I think those perspectives are so needed. But yes. then, you know, the world of online, there's like little trolls that just sit in the dark and just tell them all your their opinions about you. How have you guys navigated that in your relationship? Uh, or yourself. Okay, so yeah, I'll say for myself. Yeah. Because if Kelly was here, she'd have her own answers. But from my yeah. perspective, again, I feel like I'm very practiced at this i've just been mm. putting out content for a long time so i've got that and at the same time there's times where it honestly has been like shit do we do do i stop putting do i stop do i not share the whole entire truth online mm. because of what other people might think about me or our relationship so there's mm. definitely those thoughts that creep in and at the same time i just realize that it's just other people writing words on a screen and it's just it's just letters that are showing up and any response that shows up in my body is be probably because there was some underlying belief that was there the whole entire time. So how can I use this as an opportunity to see what's actually going on behind these words? Because these words aren't creating any emotion in my body. It's just triggering something else that was already there. Mm. You know? So mm. because if someone was saying, you're, if someone was saying to me, you are a green, red, rainbow frog, yeah. I'd be like, what? Or your relationship is something completely irrelevant. I wouldn't have any response. But yeah. if there's something about me or my character or the relationship or whatever it might be that triggers something, then that's something I get to take a deeper look into. Mm. Mm. A little bit all over the place, but hopefully that yeah. ends. Yeah, no, it's funny because it's like 
it's like you are a green frog. It's like, it's just a combination of like letters, which create a word, which create a sound, which we have meaning to. But then someone <laughs> says like, I don't like your opinion. And then yeah. it can like hurt us, right? And it's just a different combination of letters, which creates a word, which creates a sound, which we have a meaning to, and we can associate to that or not. And I think like, I, I like really honor you guys for being so open in many ways about what you got, like the way that you navigate your relationship so beautifully, because I think it's such a healthy way for people to see moving forward. Um, and also, I think like with everything that we see online, the discernment, like you guys have so many incredible opinions. And also like if something just genuinely, just as we should do with anything online, if it doesn't serve you, if it doesn't work for you, that's okay as well. Right. Um, you know, I think I, I've seen some of the stuff that you guys have shared and I'm like, I feel like that wouldn't work for me in my relationship, but I don't think that it's wrong, right? There gets to be multiple truths. You know what I mean? And like, that's what I think people forget on the internet. It's like, there is one truth. I'm like, no, there are many truths that can work really well for you guys. And that cannot work for our relationship, but we still have a great relationship, but we also have deep levels of self-awareness where we're always having these discussions about each other, you know? So there, there are so many levels to this. And I think with everything that we see online, it's discernment. And I think one of the themes of the, our conversation today has been, which I love, is like curiosity and asking better questions. And in everything that you've said, it sounds like that's such a like theme to deepening relationship. But to be able to ask better questions, we have to be able to look at certain parts of ourselves. And I think sometimes, and I know from my own personal experience in the past, I didn't ask those questions because I was fucking terrified of what I would find. Right. And so looking at those parts of ourselves and then being curious is such a beautiful way to attracting the person that we're wanting. And I, I, I mean, I know, but it's again, it's cool to hear multiple people that I have uh, with conversations on, you know, in my life and in on my podcast about manifesting, you know, their lover, their soulmate love. And it's always the same thing spoken in different words. Work on your shit. <laughs> be clear on who you want, basically, and then keep working on yourself. And that's the way that you basically attract your person, right? Absolutely. I love the way that you broke that down. That is absolutely true. Especially when you're going to ask questions about if you're doing some self-reflection work, like who must I become in order for me to attract, in order for it to be normal to attract who it is that I want? Well, there's also going to be an element of who is it that I am right now, the patterns that I'm running that is blocking me off from attracting and creating that relationship that mm. I want. That's a confronting question to ask for some people. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. what are the behaviors that aren't healthy? Mm. I don't really want to acknowledge that. But if I if you have the courage to ask that question, so yes, there's a there's the questions, but then there's the courage to even ask it in the first place. Yeah. 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 I love that. I want to res be respectful of your time. And I feel like we could probably talk for hours and I, like, maybe I'll have to have you back so we can have, cause I also know you have so much knowledge about other areas of life as well, but it's been really cool to hear your perspective on all of this and, and hear your journey. Is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up today? Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah. If anyone wants to find yeah, out where can they find you? Content, yeah. Just go to Matt Karma, M-A-T-T-C-A-M-A pretty much on any platform and my name will pop up. So uh, yeah, you can just find some content there to deepen your level of love and intimacy with yourself that will help you to create a deeper level of love and intimacy with your partner or your future partner who you're calling in. Amazing. Thank you so much, so much, Matt. Definitely go check him out, guys. He is incredible. Um, I'll have to bring him back and I hope you guys all have the most beautiful day. Welcome to the other side, beautiful souls. I so deeply appreciate you spending this time with me. 
My intention with this podcast is to uplift, love on, and inspire you and align my actions with this intention. But as with everything in the world of personal and spiritual development, take what feels good for you and leave the rest. As a white, able-bodied, cisgender woman, the perspectives I share here are inherently affected by my privileges. I'm actively invested in learning how to elevate and support lived experiences beyond my own, and I'm always open to and grateful for your feedback. I am listening. No matter who you are, where you're from, or where you're going, I see you, I love you, and you matter. So thank you for listening, beautiful souls, and I'll see you next time.